Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 tonight. Just want to take a few minutes and, and look at this uh, really important sort of a turning point in the book of Acts. As I've pointed out, uh, here in the middle of the book of Acts, there are several moments where um, it's almost like everything sort of is, is threatened. The, the church itself seems to have threats, and typically these threats come from the inside, not the outside. The whole world is turned against them. There's persecution now already, but the persecution only manages to, to strengthen the church. It, it only makes the church stronger. It only advances the gospel. It, it, it's the threats that come from inside of us, the threats that come from the church itself that uh, perhaps create the, the greatest danger for us. In Acts chapter 11, is sort of a recap of what's already happened in Acts chapter 10. Um, this may be one of the most important moments for the church. A, a real uh, important curve is, is, is taken here uh, toward uh, world missions. Uh, it involves Peter and his engagement with a man named, a Gentile man named Cornelius. So we'll just start right here. Chapter 11 is when the other Jews have found out what Peter has done, and they're not exactly altogether pleased. So they sort of call him on, under the rug to question him about his actions, and he tells the story, and that's where we'll pick up here next, chapter 11. How hard is it for you to change your mind? I know some of you, I can answer it for you. How hard is it? Do, do we mean to be so stubborn? Do, do we mean to have our minds made up to such a point where just nothing will move us? Does anybody ever set out just to be stubborn as a mule? Maybe some people, that's their goal in life. Others of us, we just sort of, we, 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 we get settled. We begin to think one certain way, and we think that way for so long that we just almost forget that there are other ways to think or other ways to see the world. And you're going to notice here that one of the very critical moments that has to happen in the life of the church is to get these old Jewish men to learn to see things the way God sees things. They have to change their minds, and it is no small feet to get people to change their minds. Acts chapter 11, let's start in verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. And Peter told him exactly what happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, okay, while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God's made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just then three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. 
Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. We'll stop there. How did the Jewish believers first respond when they hear that Gentiles are coming to Christ? What's their first response? Yeah, disbelief. Yeah. What else? Disbelief mixed with a little bit of celebration, right, John? Well, no, minus the celebration part. Yeah. Actually, there's no celebration here at all. There's mostly just suspicion. This isn't exactly pleasing news for them. Now, Peter has been the main one. Peter, as he tells the story, Peter has this amazing vision from God. And and that's how Peter finds himself in the first place, going into a Gentile home and eating with a Gentile and sharing Christ with a Gentile and then watching the Holy Spirit come and fill the hearts of Gentiles. It never even crossed Peter's mind that, that, that it could happen this way. Now, where did this whole idea that the Jews were superior to Gentiles? And remember, Gentiles is everybody in the world that's not a Jew. So the the Jews had this idea that they were absolutely far ahead and above all the other nations of the world. It's Jews and everybody else. And they have a really, really difficult time associating with Gentiles at all. Where does that come from? Well, yeah, uh, of course, the the Jews were God's chosen people. And through the Jews, God intended to work out all of his purposes for salvation. He he chose the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel, so that through the nation of Israel, he could do what? Bless the world. Save the world. God's plan was always a universal plan. He was going to save the world. He, he told that Abraham that, that through him that the nations would be blessed. Understand, God's plan was always bigger than the nation of Israel. But somewhere along the way, it was very difficult for the nation of Israel to, to have the same sort of big vision that God had. Their vision became small. Now, of course, some of their mindset is sort of established through the Old Testament, through the holiness code, we call it. It's the idea that if you're the chosen people of God, and if God is going to dwell with you, if God is going to dwell with us, then we can't just be like normal. We have to respond to God's holiness. We have to be set apart in the world so that people will identify us as God's people. And so there were markers laid out in the Old Testament that would set them aside, that would mark the Jewish people as belonging to God. And those markers became multiplied. First, and obviously circumcision for Jewish men marked them as belonging to the covenant. But then all kinds of, of dietary laws and then laws that govern the kinds of clothes you would wear and laws that would govern the way you would build your house. The laws became added to laws. But, but before long, you get into this era with Peter and the other Jews here in, in the book of Acts. And this is how they see the world. 
They see the world through Jewish eyes. They see the world through that basic perspective that they are God's chosen and everyone else is different. Everyone else is sort of set apart. So in a Jewish mind, could a Gentile be right with God? Could a Gentile somehow come into God's family? Yes, yes, always they could, but how would they do that? But by becoming like them, by becoming a Jew. You could join God's people, but you would have to become a Jew. You would have to adopt all of their laws, all of their identifying markers. You just simply had to completely identify with them, become a Jew. So, now, the Messiah has come. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Now, Jesus, in his teaching, Jesus was always pointing these disciples toward the basic fact that God is interested in the heart, that it's what comes from the inside that defiles a person and not what comes from the outside. Jesus made it perfectly clear that that, that there was one royal law. You should love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was trying to help them understand the difference between the, the laws that the Pharisees have had had added on and what really pertains to the righteousness that comes from Christ, it comes from the Lord. So now you have these Jews who are believers, Jews who have put their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And so they're preaching the gospel primarily to each other, primarily to other Jews. And they begin to see Gentiles respond. So in a Jewish Christian's mind, how would a Gentile become a Christian? They could become Christians, make no mistake, that they didn't think that Gentiles couldn't also come to faith in Jesus the Messiah. They just expected what? In order to become a Christian, you would you become a Jew first. They just couldn't un, unhinge those things. In order to become like Jesus, they would have to become like Jews. You understand? And so this is the scandal. The absolute scandal is simply that Peter has gone and he stepped right into a Gentile house. And that Gentile house was still a Gentile house. They were eating things that weren't kosher. It was, it was ceremonially unclean. And Peter walked straight in and he shared the gospel. And these Gentiles became full believers without becoming Jews. And this is what makes the Jewish heads just want to explode. They can't accept it. They can't see it. They can't understand that. There's absolutely nothing that would prepare them for this. Nothing. Now, stop right there. You think it's still a tendency for Christians like us to sort of think that if people are going to become like Jesus, they should sort of become more like us? Do we have any of that in us? No, probably people in other places and other churches, but it's sort of human nature, sort of human nature. We imitate Christ in the best way that we can in our culture and the ways that we do, and we have a very difficult time separating our culture, our preferences, our opinions from the things that actually belong to Christ. We have a difficult time doing that. So even for us, it's hard simply to encourage people to become like Jesus without also trying to get them to become like us. It's been one of the challenges in world missions. We would go to uh, the uttermost parts of the earth and try to make them act like North Americans, even as we tried to make them act like Christians. It's, it's a difficult, difficult thing for human beings to separate being like Jesus from just being like us. Now, Peter used to be just like all the other Jews, though. I mean, Peter was just like him. What did it take to change his mind? 
How did he become this, this missionary to the Gentiles? It was a man named Cornelius whose house he went to. How, how did Peter make the change? Was it easy? He, he got a vision from heaven. Well, what was the vision like? Somebody tell us how it went. What was the dream like? Yeah, like a big sheet, maybe a big tablecloth. According to the story, Peter was waiting on lunch, and he was really hungry. And he sort of went into this vision where this tablecloth comes down from heaven, and it's filled with all kinds of animals. Now, the Jews ate animals. They were pretty good carnivores. It's just that there were animals that were considered clean, animals you could eat, and a whole lot of animals that you're never supposed to eat. You understand? But all of a sudden, Peter has this vision of a big tablecloth that comes down, and all kinds of animals are on it. Some of them would be traditionally clean, traditionally kosher for Jews. Some of them would be forbidden, like the giant country ham, you know, the hog standing in the middle of the table. That would not be kosher. But in the vision, the voice from heaven says what to Peter? Kill and eat. Yeah, eat. What does Peter say? I have never. Yeah. I don't do that. I, I don't eat that. I, I don't eat that. I have never broken the laws of the Old Testament. I've never broken those laws. I don't, I don't do that. A voice coming from heaven now, and he's arguing with God. I don't do that. You know, the, the command is clear, kill and eat, but he says, no, I've never. I, I don't. That, that's not what I do. How many times does it take? Three times. Yeah, three times. How many times would it take for you? I mean, for God to change your mind about something you've always thought, that you've always thought that this is right, and now God is trying to change your mind. How many times did he have to drop a hog out of heaven on you? I mean, how many times? For Peter, it's three times, three times. And then according to the story, he's trying to figure out what it means. And then how does he figure out what it means? What's the answer Finally, what is it that helps Peter understand what this dream is about? People at his door. Yeah. At that very moment, he's thinking, well, I don't even understand what this means. I, I, I have no hunger for bacon. There's, there's no craving. And he's trying to figure out what in the world this means. Is this about food? What, what is God telling me? And then the answer is people at his door. It's interesting. It's a matrix kind of thing. It's like a dream within a dream. And you find out that in, in Peter's dream at the same time, God was speaking to Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And what did the Lord tell Cornelius about salvation? He could have salvation, but he needed to hear the gospel from a man named Peter. Go get a man named Peter. Isn't it interesting over and over and over this pattern in the book of Acts that you have angels and dreams and messengers from God. They will point people toward a human being who will share the gospel, but the angel never shares the gospel. I mean, you know, we could have let Cornelius avoid this whole giant trip and all of that. Just let the angel share the gospel, but they never do. The gospel is the privilege of God's people. We share the gospel. It is the message that we are entrusted with. That's our job. So the angel tells Cornelius, go, send for Peter. And so Peter's trying to figure out what in the world does this mean? And the answer is the people right at his door, and they invite him to come home to a Gentile man's house whose name is Cornelius. 
Can you imagine being Peter? I mean, he's always, he's never been in a Gentile house. Have you ever had any kind of experience like this? You ever walked into a home of somebody that's really different from you and, and, and it's, it's different smells, it's different everything. It's just so strange, it's just so weird. Peter never pictured himself just walking into a Gentile house. He's never done that, never wanted to do it, and he's not altogether comfortable doing it today. The only reason he's there is what? God. There's no way to explain this other than to say, you know, God said I should come. And you know it feels weird. Go back and read the story because Peter just walks in and says, Cornelius, I'll be really honest with you. It is weird to be here. It, it is really, I mean, he says it. It is really weird to be here. And Cornelius says, you don't know nothing. It is weird to have you here. I mean, these are two men, a Jew and a Gentile. They never expected to be together on the same afternoon in a house sharing a meal. They never saw this coming. I guess if there's a little lesson for us here, it's just simply that, that we, we, when we truly follow Christ, when we truly allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we're going to do things that feel a little bit weird to us. I would go so far as to say, if in your life you never ever feel yourself led to do something that you never saw yourself doing, if you've never experienced that being kind of dragged out of your hole like a groundhog, if you've never experienced that feeling of weirdness of stepping out, knowing that even though this doesn't feel right, it is right because this is what Jesus told me to do. If you've never had those moments of weirdness, I would really question how closely you're following Jesus in your life. This is what it looks like. If we're going to have what they had, we got to do what they did. And what they did was follow Jesus wherever he led them, doing things they never imagined themselves doing. But the only way you can explain it is to say, this is just what Jesus said do. So Peter says, man, it is weird to be here, Cornelius. I, I, I got to admit, you know, I, I look at what's on the table for your supper, and I'm telling you, man, your food is weird. I got, you know, can I just have like a peanut butter sandwich, you know, some you know, Diet Coke. And Cornelius says, man, you don't even know where it's weird for me too. But, but then the Holy Spirit comes into this scene. The Holy Spirit comes into this room. Peter lays hands on Cornelius and, and Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter didn't even imagine it could happen this way, but, but, but he tries to explain it. Tries to explain it to the fellow Jews. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, I thought of Jesus' words when Jesus said that John would baptize with water, but, but Jesus said he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So when I saw the Holy Spirit fall on these men, I knew that was Jesus. I mean, only Jesus could do that. Since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Man, that's a good question. Who am I to stand in God's way? When would we stand in God's way? In God's great plan through Christ to save the world, how, how could we get in the way of that? Yeah, Josh. Yeah, if we insist on doing it our way, walking in the direction that we want to go. This is the longest story in the book of Acts. It goes on for chapter after chapter, which means this is incredibly important here. 
Because if the Christians, if the Jewish Christians don't get this, if they don't understand what God is calling them to do, do you understand this could be the end of the gospel? If they're only going to share it with the people like them, then they're never going to reach the world for for Christ. And, And that's always the danger for the church. Always the danger that we will only share it our way uh, with the people that we're comfortable with, with the people that we know that will never step out. Yeah, it's real danger will stand in God's way by insisting on doing it our way. Yeah, that's good. What else, Jack? Yeah, sometimes we like to think that we get to decide who hears the gospel. And that's not a privilege that we have. I've heard John Trout say, everybody deserves to hear the gospel from your mouth. That everybody deserves to hear the gospel from your mouth. When you don't tell it, you're deciding that they don't hear it. And that's not your place. You don't get to decide that people don't hear the gospel, but when you don't tell it, then you've made the choice for them. You understand? Everybody deserves to hear it. Now, they deserve to say yes, and they deserve to say no. You don't get to decide for them whether or not they respond, but you do get to decide whether or not they hear it. So one of the ways we stand in God's way is by not telling them. We don't tell people about Jesus, and therefore, they don't get to hear, and we've made that choice, not them. That's really important and beautiful, Jack. That's John Trout. What else? How do we stand in God's way? By not going when we're called. Yeah, we sort of get deceived in the scriptures because guys like Peter, even though they're a hard-headed man, they still are obedient. Once, once he gets it, once the, the answer to his prayer, the people at his door, he's gone. It's hard. It stretches him. It's weird. He's uncomfortable, but he goes. Yeah, so many times you guys... It doesn't matter how many times God conks us over the head. We are stubborn and we don't move. We stand in God's way when we don't move, when we don't obey him, when we don't go. What else? I guess real simply, when we don't love people. I I mean, something's happening to happen inside of Peter's heart, man. He, he doesn't love people like Cornelius. He can say he does, and it's really easy to say you love people that you never have to really get close to, you understand? But loving involves accepting, too. It, it involves being willing to go to Cornelius's house and sit down and eat a meal and experience all of the weirdness of that for the sake of Christ. Honestly, we just don't love people. If, if we loved them, we'd go. If we loved them, we'd accept them. If we loved them, we'd tell them. But because we don't love them and because we don't tell them and because we don't accept them, we end up standing in God's way. Peter says, I saw the gift of the Holy Spirit given to them in the same way it was given to us. And so I had to ask, who who am I to stand in God's way? This is the moment when Peter and the Jewish church steps out of God's way and opens the door for the gospel to go to the nations. I have a feeling that we're waiting for a similar moment here at Woodburn Baptist Church. We need to step out of God's way and let the gospel move. Any final thoughts? Anything at all?
Yeah. Right. Yeah, we have to step out of the way. We can't be the judge and the one who loves and shares good news at the same time. Let's let Jesus be the judge. Oh, yeah, That's hard, you all. People who don't know Jesus, their lives are messy. If y'all don't know this, get out and meet, and, and meet some actual real people. Uh, lives are messy. It's really messy. And when we begin to share the gospel and when people begin to get saved in our church again, they're going to bring that mess into here. And we're going to need to learn how important it is to... Uh, let things get a little weird and messy for the sake of the gospel. Not everybody is going to be like us, but hopefully we're all becoming more like Jesus. And uh, I think that's what we're here for. It's beautiful today. Uh, I stayed after church, the friends from St. Paul AME. It's the African-American congregation across 240 up there on the hill. Uh, They don't have a Baptist, so they came and baptized today. This is a really small church. It's a really small church. Uh, according to the pastor, I, I think sometimes they can have, you know, like three, four, five people on a on a Sunday morning. But it's been in operation for a long, long time. Uh, this tiny little church—they baptized three people today. That they baptized three people, and, and it was actually pretty awesome. Uh, they baptized three people, and they were like shouting people. I mean, like you know, I'm thinking, you know, you need to not shout underwater because dude you're gonna drown you know it was that sign of that kind of you know praise the lord uh, no kidding and then one one guy's getting baptized and the guy that just came up with the water is going that's my brother that's my brother man it was the best baptismal service i have ever been to uh and it was in our church this afternoon um they baptized three people three new believers and all of them probably under the age of 23 I love that. I, I, I love that. As I said, whenever uh, Jesus creates a new life, a new birth, he brings that new one to the church's door, and it becomes our responsibility to make a disciple. That's part of what we do. Something tells me that when we are trustworthy to do that, the Lord will bring more of those to our door. Right now, St. Paul AME, apparently the Lord can trust them with three new believers. They got three today. It's beautiful. And if it weren't for them, our baptistry would have been dry today. Y'all know that, right? It's been dry. Maybe when we become trustworthy to love people, to accept people, to bring in the new believer and watch them and encourage them all the way in the process of becoming like Christ, maybe when we become more trustworthy in that, the Lord will bring more of those new ones to our door. That's what I'm praying for tonight. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, 
a church that shouts. For new believers so excited, Lord, that they nearly drown praising you with open mouths as they go beneath the waters of baptism and and come up in celebration of a new creation. For that young man who screams and cries and shouts, that's my brother, that's my brother, that's my brother. Lord, we need about a teaspoon of that in all of our hearts, Lord. We, We need some of that, that excitement to see people come to you, that willingness to go and love and tell and share and just accept people and stop judging people, Lord. Lord, as a church, we're very self-focused. We take good care of ourselves, and we do pretty well with people who are more or less like us. Thing is, Lord, there's a whole world of people not like us, and they need to hear the gospel too. So open our eyes, open our hearts, open our mouths that we will go out of this place and share the good news of a Savior who changes people. Help us be living proof, Lord, of a God with power to make people new, to make minds new, to change minds, to change hearts, to change churches. Lord, we just want to be yours. We want to be used by you. We want to take the gospel to the world. We just want to do what you want us to do. Help us, Lord, to listen for your voice this week, to love people, to really care about people. Pray that you would loosen our tongues, Lord, to share the gospel. Pray, Lord, that whatever it is that you ask us to do, we would be instantly obedient. Instantly obedient this week. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, but for the sake of the world.